Good evening, everybody, and hope everyone are doing well tonight. This is your boy, Alvin, and welcome to another episode of He Said, He Said, He Said, a look at the world from a seasoned Black man's perspective. Well, tonight is one of those nights that I have been waiting for for a long time, a long time. And by that, I have often wondered, who would we bring on as our musical guest uh, for our, uh, our first show? Uh, around music. And never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that it would have been someone who I really, really admire and look up to. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Gordon Chambers is here tonight and he's going to, um, you know, talk to us. We're going to interview him and he's even going to uh, serenade us a bit tonight. How's everyone doing? Happy Friday. It is August the 6th, ladies and gentlemen. Can you believe that? Yes. It is summer is flying by, but there's still some more summer to do. So I hope everyone is uh, taking care of themselves, you know, in the midst of everything that we have going on and that um, you're going to enjoy the rest of your summer. But um, waiting for some folks to get in. Hey, Monica, how you doing? Um, hey, look, um, I want you all to please post your questions tonight for Gordon, because we have some questions that, that we're going to talk to him about that definitely will have you asking him some questions and he's here for it all, ladies and gentlemen. But before we get to all that, I'm going to bring on my co-host for this week, ladies and gentlemen, from last week, next week, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to bring on Mr. Vosh Bodhi and Mr. Saladin there. You guys come on in tonight. How you guys doing? Hey, hey Alvin, great. How hey, you guys doing? Happy hey, Vash. You guys happy got like Friday. smiles on your face. I'm loving it. Oh, <laughs> I'm excited for tonight. Oh, you. I, I, I seriously have a, a Gordon Chambers story. I, I really do. I, I really do. And I don't know if I will share it with him or no. I'm, I'm, yeah, I got a Gordon Chambers story. I, I, I'll just wait. I'll just wait. But you guys are doing well. You guys are doing great. well. Good. Well, Absolutely. And you know, it's been a crazy week, but things are good. Have a glass of water on me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. That is where we are in it life is water. right now. It is that is where water. we are, down to water. And, you know, in the midst of this being our first music show, um, something um, actually sort of uh, long awaited for is happening this uh, next week on the 13th. Miss um, mm -hmm. uh, Jennifer Hudson is going to be is playing Aretha Franklin and it's finally here. So, um, you know, uh, I want everybody to take a look at, at, at her. Um, she's gonna be playing, like I said, Aretha Franklin and Cynthia Revo, as you know, has played Aretha Franklin already. So after the 13th of, of next week, it's going to be that, well, who did it better kind of thing, you know, going on. So I don't know, did you- Not want for to me. Not, not for you. Not for you. No, How about you? No. no? Who's no? your vote? Uh, you know, I didn't even see the Cynthia Harivo version because, yeah, uh, you know, she made those derogatory comments about Black Americans, and yet she played an iconic character, Harriet Tubman, and here she is again playing Aretha Franklin. And frankly, to be honest, I'm really just tired of, uh, especially Black British actors playing these iconic. Um, you know, African-American roles, and yet, you know, they continue to make, I can't say they, but some of them have made derogatory comments about African-Americans. So I really don't support films where, um, you know, some Black British actors are playing iconic African-Americans. 
Wow. You know, I, I have not heard anything that Cynthia Revo has said or any derogatory comments that she's made about Americans. I, I have not heard any. And not to say that she has not, obviously, if you've heard that. But, um, I mean, you know, for all the controversy around her, you know, playing an, Amer or an American and she's British, I mean, at the end of the day, in my opinion, they're actors. And mm -hmm. that, that's what actors do. <clears throat> actors play other characters. But in this role of her playing Aretha Franklin versus uh, Jennifer Hudson playing Aretha Franklin, I could not, I would not compare them. I mean, I, I'm, both of them are phenomenal in my eye in terms of, you know, their capabilities of singing and acting, but I wouldn't compare, I'm not going to compare them, but I will say, and that I'm waiting for on the 13th to see if Hollywood portrays Miss Franklin in a different way that it was portrayed by, um, I, what was it, Lifetime? It wasn't Lifetime, it was either Lifetime or Discovery or whatever uh, channel that, um, that aired Cynthia Revo's uh, version of Respect. I'm sorry, of portraying Aretha Franklin. I, I don't know if they're going to show the same sides. And so I'm looking forward to that because uh, there was a lot of, I don't know, very personal stuff that was shown in Cynthia Revo's version that I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. And I wanna know if they're going to do that in the version that Jennifer Hudson's going to play. So mm -hmm. I'm excited about both of them, um, you know, playing. Oh, we have a lot of people uh, who are on, on here tonight. Uh, okay. I think Gordon Chambers has something to do with that. Um, you know, hey, 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 uh, who's that? Robert and David. Hey, how y'all doing tonight? Um, so, um, look, is anything else going on in you guys' world that you all want to talk about? We, you know, we, we, there's a lot going on, and I'm trying not to talk about the negative stuff, but there's a lot of stuff going on and some simple stuff like just wear a damn mask. Okay, wear, <laughs> wear a mask. Yes, that is definitely a given. Well, there is a bit of information that I would like to share just in case anybody is stuck in an airport somewhere trying to get home on a Spirit airline flight because that has been all over the news. I want you to know that if you run up to the counter and say you want an involuntary refund, they have to give you your money back so you can go to another airline and get home. So <laughs> I hope we've helped somebody somewhere get home mm -hmm. because that's been something I've been watching over the last few days. Is that because Spirit Airline is not connected to other airlines? Right? You know, airlines don't necessarily like have to accept another airline's uh, ticket. Okay. Mm -hmm. But okay. everybody seems to accept cash. Well, speaking of flying, <laughs> I'm just I'm just scared of flying because I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be on no flight with people fighting. I was and just that, 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 thinking that, that, about that. <laughs> was that Frontier Airlines the other day where the flight attendants had to like tape a guy to a seat? Was that Frontier yes. Airlines? Oh my I'm gosh. not sure what airline, but I, I saw that some I heard that somebody was taped to a seat with duct tape. The um with the uh, flight attendants did it. And did you see the, there's an interview that a news program did with a guy who apparently was the flight attendant on that flight. And he gave one of those interviews that was a little like, hide your kids, hide your wife. It was just hysterical. And I was like, this man is not the flight attendant that was on that flight. And this news company put it out. If I can find it, I'm going to share it with you guys because your mouths will drop at the things that he says. And Boston, the, the flight attendant that duct taped the passenger to a seat, was he yeah. reprimanded by the airline? Wasn't he put on suspension or something? Is that right? 
Ooh, that I don't know because they are trained to do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right? Flight Clearly. attendants, everyone thinks they're supposed to get <laughs> peanuts, but they are trained to restrain passengers, to help them in emergencies and stuff like that. So I think that was protocol. So they have duct tape in a bag saying, use this if a passenger becomes unruly. It's, it's, it's behind it's, the glass thing that they have to break. It's this break in case of unruly passenger. They go and tap oh, no. it, <laughs> pull out the duct tape, and start wrapping <laughs> it around. Come on. Just. Are you serious? <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Well, God bless okay. them for that training. I, I support okay. that. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I'm, I, because of that, I'm really just not in the mood to, um, to fly. But tonight we have mr gordon chambers with us tonight ladies and gentlemen as and you guys <clears throat> we have been working really hard gordon has a very busy schedule and i am so honored to have him on on our show tonight and so um if we can ladies and gentlemen we want to get on with the interview and speak to gordon because uh again i've been waiting since 2005 believe me Gordon Chambers, how you doing, sir? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, Gordon, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do this because I do this to all the guests who come on, and I've been waiting to do this for you. I'm going to give you my introduction while, while you're there watching me, because usually I say it, and then and then our producers will pop you on. So I'm just gonna go ahead and give you my my introduction so that everybody will know who you are. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, recording artist and Grammy award-winning and nominated songwriter, producer, Gordon Chambers has written for over 75 recording artists. Some of the names include Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Beyonce, Brandy, and Trey Songs. His number one hits as a lyricist, though, include Anita Baker's Grammy winner, I Apologize, and Brownstone's Grammy-nominated, If You Love Me which I love to hear when I'm driving. So Gordon, I, I love that, okay? Um, with four albums to his credit, introducing Gordon Chambers, Love Stories, Sincere, and Surrender, he is the winner of 10 American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers Songwriting Awards, and a recipient of four Dove nominations. We're gonna say this later on, but you can go to gordonchambers.com and learn everything else about him and see what he's doing and what um, what uh, just everything you want to know about Gordon Chambers, but tonight we have him here on our show, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, Mr. Gordon Chambers. <laughs> I have to get hey, all Gordon. that out. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you, sir? Great. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. You're, you're, you're welcome. You're, you're, you're welcome. I, I'm also going to go on record to say that because of social media, you, you know people who know people who know people. Gordon, I'm going to say when I mention your name for people who know you, they always say the same thing. Mm -hmm. They say he is a nice guy. Amen. I mean, that that is the overarching, you know, three words, you know, four words or so that I get about you. He is a nice guy. So it is an honor to have you here, my friend. And uh, you changed my life in 2005 when someone took me on a date and I ended up going to your show. Okay, and so um, uh, and we will talk about that later. But, um, <laughs> but um, if you all don't mind, you know, I'm ready to jump into the interview uh, with Gordon. You guys ready? Let's do it. Let's get it. Okay, totally okay. Ready. This is exciting. This has okay. been a long time coming. Welcome, Gordon. Ah, uh, okay. You. So, Gordon, you were born and raised in the Bronx um, yeah. to Jamaican parents. Your father mm -hmm. raised in Montego Bay and your mom in Port Antonio, Kingston. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that was before you moved to Teaneck, New Jersey in 1977. Um, how much did your parents influence you musically in your early childhood? Completely, in every way. I mean, my parents today, to this day, are, ex- are music lovers. My mother can sing you every song on the radio, like from Mavis Staples, I'll Take You There, to Rihanna's Work, Work, Work. But they, <laughs> she knows, you know, having grandchildren, she knows the music. But growing up, my parents were, you know, collected records. They bought records. Um, you know, they had like little informal parties. My father used to DJ club. So daddy had all the records and my father had jazz records and soul records and reggae records, obviously, from our heritage. So um, I heard music constantly as a child and it inspired me to want to do music. Like I was not the kid who was into sports. I was not into, I was into my academics, but I, I Music was a solace for me. It was something that was a hobby. And very early on, I found myself comforted by vinyl and reading album credits and took piano lessons, trumpet lessons. My parents supported all the music training I had and every concert, every recital, they were there, as well as the aunts and uncles and my brother. And they just gave me a foundation. They were my first supporters, my first audience. And the first the love of music comes from that those households I was raised and reared in. Well, you know, and I'm you mentioned you mentioned your mother. And when I came to your show in 2005, mm-hmm. um, you you introduced your mom. She was there. And, oh, wow. and yeah. And I think I, I, OK, I think you might have when you sung the song, My Valentine, I mm-hmm. think it was I, man, I was crying. Because I think wow. you dedicated. I, I, you mentioned your mom in, in the in the midst of, of, of that performance. And I was just so so touched and and the yeah so um yeah you, you do have family support i will de- i can attest to that i can attest to that Thanks. um Thank you. so while you were in teaneck though you wrote your first song at age seven while mm-hmm. receiving guidance and tutelage from some of the most world-renowned musicians i mean in the world and mm-hmm. that was uh dick griffin um right mm-hmm. here he was a trombonist and 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 then there was uh, uh what is it Rufus Reed who was a bassist Rufus Reed jazz famous jazz bass player yeah yeah and and Lenny White drummer Lenny White um you yep. you 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 were all under their tutelage um what yep. do you recall learning from these legends specifically um at, at that young age well Teaneck is a very was a very part of big part of my story I mean Teaneck New Jersey is the you know if you ever look at the Isley Brothers. Sorry, y'all. I'm a little hot, so I'm gonna just wipe my little face oh, down real quick. You, look, look, wipe it you, off, you, boo. Look, come on Sorry. now. You, you and family, you, you good. You good. <laughs> um, but um, the um, Teaneck, New Jersey. If you ever look at the Isley Brothers records, on um, they always they always say Teaneck Records on the back. Yeah. So growing up, there were neighbors that were entertainers. Um, Brooke Shields. I remember delivering the papers to her when I was like 12 years old. She lived around the corner. Cool and the gang were neighbors. Millie Jackson was a neighbor. Teaneck was a town that was like 30 minutes from the city. Mm-hmm. And um, because these people lived in Teaneck, they went there for the good public school systems. Um, they were involved in PTA meetings. And the word got out that I was kind of a kid, songwriting, quote unquote, prodigy, whatever you want to call it, or a musician. And so people came forward. There were like after school programs at. Um, like Mr. Griffin taught um, at one of the after-school programs called the Magnet School. Um, I don't know if y'all remember that. Reagan pulled the funding for it, but I remember being in those classes before it was pulled. Um, but the word got out, you know, 
it being a small town, that I was interested in music and writing songs and people like, oh, you should call this person. And these, those three gentlemen were just kind and let me come to their homes and hang out with them and to their home studios, play them my song, show them what I was doing. No, didn't charge a penny, just for wow. the love of, of music and, and wanting to nurture somebody that they saw some promise in, yeah. Wow. So, and also while you were in NTNEC, uh, you learned how to play the piano and yeah. the trumpet. So I'm, I'm more than sure that they had some inspiration on, you know, uh, yeah. on you regarding that. And you joined a 16 piece band called the Progressions. Um, new Progressions. New, new Progressions, I'm sorry, oh, New, new progressions. progressions. New Progressions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were, were you a vocalist as well at that time when you no. were a musician in the band? I, w I didn't start singing really until college. I was a very, I was shy. I wasn't a singer. I was a pianist and a composer, arranger, trumpeter. I was not a singer. Um, I started writing songs and I had friends in the town were, who were these amazing singers. And when I would write a song, they would learn it or do the little demos for me. And one day this singer that I had, a friend of mine who was supposed to come and sing a song for me didn't show up. You know, and I was like, well, I booked the studio time and the song is here and written and the singer friend of mine didn't show up. I'm like, I guess I'll sing. Just I remember like Tina talking about how she was there at that session where the singer didn't show up that was supposed to sing the song. I, it was kind of like I ended up singing on my own song. And my father used to always tell me that he heard the way some of my friends who were singers were singing my songs, And he was didn't like he thought that they were changing the melodies too much and kind of using them to show, to show off their voices as opposed to honoring the song. Mm -hmm. So he was actually somebody who um, was encouraging. It didn't feel like it at the time. He's, you know, it was right. like, you, you know, you need to sing your own songs because I'm friends of yours. They just effing it up. You know, that's how he said it. That's how I came across, right? So it was kind of like, why are you talking about my friends, daddy? But right. it was more, it was the encouragement of, of, of encouraging me as a songwriter and encouraging me that I, I had a gift for for melody, and then I needed to honor that gift by, sorry, my little cross is twisted. Sorry, <laughs> trying to keep, keep, keep my godly look going. So anyway, um, um, so it was, um, yeah, he gave me that encouragement to to honor the melody and in, in, in my music, and that's how I, I became sort of an accidental singer. I grew up around such amazing singers. I mean, Regina yeah, Bell, clearly, you know was in the neighborhood or one town over from me. Um, the guys that were in this group called Today, um, Big Bub and them, um, they were signed to to Teddy Riley. They were childhood friends. They were just all these singers mm -hmm. and they were gospel singers. I grew up like in, in going to Episcopalian church. So I didn't grow up singing, belting out big gospel sounds. Um, so I was intimidated by my friends who were singers, but they were attracted to my songs. They, were, they encouraged right. me as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. So finally, when I went to college actually, was when I was able to kind of get away from all of them and experiment <clears> as a singer. And I sang all kinds of music in college. Like I sang in the jazz bands, I sang in rock bands, I sang, um, you know, and like started a singing group on, on campus called Shades of Brown, which was like an R&B kind of group. I sang, you know, I did some theater um, where I would, you know, have to sing sort of experimental, you know, I just, I, I freed up. I went to Brown University after Teaneck High School. Mm -hmm. And um, Brown was a very creative um, campus where people were just doing whatever they wanted to do. And I just dived into all these different modes of expression 
and really found my voice as a singer. Mm. You know, yeah, that's what this I got is no, um, Gordon. Um, I don't know. We we didn't tell you this before, but we have people who have signed on and they are asking questions. I don't know if you if you can okay. see that, but w one of yes. the one of the uh, persons, Monica Pleasant, she just asked, uh, "Did Gordon Chambers work with Michael Jackson on the brownstone uh, on the brownstone hit?" Yes, I mean. I worked with Michael indirectly because Michael owned the label MJJ Records that Brownstone was signed to. So I indirectly worked with Michael, wrote the song with Dave Hall and Nikki Gilbert, um, the lead singer of founder of Brownstone, wrote If You Love Me. But um, Michael did call me when the record was rising on the charts. He actually called the studio one day and was like, Gordon, I can't tell <laughs> 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 off into the air. So that was the one time that I did hear directly from, from the King of Pop. And I was grateful to, you know, hear from him and that he took the time to call to sort of endorse and congratulate. Yeah. That's amazing. You've never like told me that story, Gordon. <laughs> you never asked. You know <laughs> <laughs> so Gordon, do doing an interview with the uh, sure. with, the, with with the record. Um, it mentioned you stating, uh, and I quote, T-Neck mm -hmm. is the place where I had all of my musical training. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on to say that you said, growing up knowing that I lived in T-Neck gave me something to dream and aspire to, that yes. one day I could grow up and become a professional. Looking at all of what you have accomplished in your journey right now, um, what are some of the major lessons you've learned from after making that statement? Well, T-Neck, you know, like I said, there was a lot of professional musicians living in Teaneck, but there was also, more importantly than that, there were black professionals living in Teaneck, New Jersey, you know, doctors and lawyers and, you know, um, maintenance men or just whatever. There were black families working, you know, police working their jobs and mm -hmm. couples raising their kids and their families, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it made a huge impact on me because my... This is the thing that I love very much about my childhood and I, and I try to pass on to you um, that I speak to and mentor is that I didn't grow up hero or idol worshiping entertainers. <clears throat> entertainers were around me, <clears throat> excuse me. Entertainers and people in the entertainment industry were around me, but I didn't idol worship them. I saw them putting out the garbage and I saw them at the PTA meetings and I saw them as regular people who had a job, but also had families and and other aspirations to just be, you know, citizens. And um, and I and I admired very much my parents and my aunts and my uncles who raised me and reared me and my grandparents. I had I learned my values, you know, from the people I was raised by. And I say that proudly because the entertainment industry is one that if you idolize it and you hero worship it, you can damage yourself and your self-worth trying to be a part of it. That never happened to me. Mm -hmm. I always had foundation. I always, every room that I came in um, to, even some of the most highest, you know, moments of my life, I shared them with my family um, because I talked about my family, you know, 
Whitney was like, let me call your mama because you always talk about your parents. I want to talk to them. And you get out the room so I can have a real conversation. <laughs> she literally, and she literally called them on the phone, literally. Um, so I carried them with me and that dignity and that, that pride and those values into the rooms where I, 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 I went to work. And I think it served me because people treated me, listen, in any industry, you have to pay your dues, you know, right. when mm -hmm. you're getting started. But overall, people treated me well, you know, I, but I think that I respected myself. You know, I knew how to walk away from situations. I was like, OK, this is time for work and whatever's happening next to this evening, I'm out of here, you know. Yeah. And um, and so Teaneck made a great impression on me just in terms of community and, and really being in the music industry as a, as community service. We're here to serve, you know. Mm -hmm. All Come of on. us are born with talents, gifts, you know, and callings and, and missions. And a satisfied and a gratified life is in one in which you have been of service. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've lived on life, if you've only lived on life for your own pleasure or your own, you know, self-adulation, that's a miserable and toxic life. But when you've served, you know, oh. and you use your talent, whatever your talent is to, to serve, you would have blessed somebody and Come you, on. Would have, you would have, when your time comes, you would transition in peace because you knew that you used your talent and your gift, whatever it is, to serve your community. And Teaneck is a community that taught me the taught, taught me those values. So thank you for asking about my hometown. Thank you for asking Go. about my roots. Because a lot of times when I when I do interviews, people want to just get the highlights. What was it like working with this one? I I'm very happy to talk about my roots and who I am and where it mm -hmm. came from and and what what I brought to those moments of my career, what I brought to those rooms, so to speak. Right. Well, 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 thank you. And, and you know, this, this I, I wanted to uh, pick this, this segment, and thank you for that. I received that because I wanted to know about Little Gordon. Okay, I want, I, I'm the guy who's all, I, I think that everyone should be in touch with their inner child, where they came yeah. from, why they're doing what they're doing. So I am so happy that um that that i got this opportunity to ask you those questions and you just said a word just now i hope somebody received what you just said and we got it right. on tape so we're gonna play it again but um right. th th this is my my last question for you you mentioned that um that you did go to brown university and i know mm -hmm. that uh you you were pursuing political science toward becoming a lawyer and mm -hmm. so and monica you you broke into my question because in 1994 um that, that it was at that that when he returned that he wrote uh, when he returned to Teaneck at the college, he wrote If You Love Me for, for Brownstone, um, which is, again, one of my favorite singles for driving. Um, and, and it hit uh, Billboard's Hot 100. So my question to you is, did you aspire to pursue music as, or, um, and it was a redirect from your plans to become a lawyer? Or did, did, yeah. did that overtake that? I, you know, I was in denial really. I was a very good academic student. I, 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 I skipped a grade. I went to Brown University at 16. I was the youngest freshman in the, in the, in the, in the, on the campus. So I was very bright. Um, and, um, you know, and I thought, and I was raised in a Jamaican household where you had to get a job, job, a real job, you know, come, come um, you couldn't waste your, you know, brain pursuing, you know, a hobby. So, but after a couple of years of being pre-law, I had to tell my father, I said, daddy, 
I just don't think I want to do this anymore. And my father was mortified. But, you know, my father, I had also had a conversation with my father when I turned down a full scholarship to Princeton, full scholarship, and said I wanted to go to Brown. I said it felt more creative. And I didn't get a full scholarship there, but it felt more me. So daddy kind of like had to gag again. But I ended up getting a degree um, in American studies where I took a lot of political science courses and um, American and English journalism courses and Afro-American studies courses and combined in the <clears throat> major and wrote a thesis. And then I ended up getting a job at Essence magazine, um, which was a nice segue from what I had studied. And it was while I was at Essence, I got promoted to entertainment editor two years ago. Essence, working at Essence was a great place to network, you know, for songwriting as well. And it was while I was there that I actually um, wrote the song, If You Love Me for Brownstone. So Essence is another part of my life. And once again, similar to the, the T-neck, working at Essence made a huge impact on me just being around amazing black professionals, um, mm -hmm. you know, amazing people, not just obviously Susan Taylor, who's the most yeah. well-known, but all the editors, all the advertising, you know, all the entire staff, just these black, amazing professional people. It was yeah. a true gift to my, my soul. It's interesting that you that you mentioned um, Essence Magazine, Gordon, and that you were entertainment editor there. Can you describe your journey from entertainment editor at Essence Magazine to Grammy Award-winning songwriter? Well, it was quite a journey. I mean, I was there at Essence during the day, and I was moonlighting, really. You know, I had a job and a dream, um, or being Jamaican, two jobs, if you want to look at it like that. <laughs> um, but I would go to studios at night. I mean. I was I knew that I wanted to be in music. So even though I worked at Essence and did my work and enjoyed my work and loved working and did, doing my work, music was always my passion. I wrote a lot about music. I even wrote, wrote freelance music articles for other magazines. I wrote for Rolling Stone. I wrote for um, Billboard. I wrote for The Source. I wrote for freelance, wrote for other magazines. Um, but I was also, you know, going to network around songwriting and going to you know, anything to do with songwriting, networking events, things that ASCAP and BMI were having. And I met other producers and, and, and a lot of up and coming producers. And then finally I met uh, some producers who were really in the in the thing that really mm -hmm. working producers, Dave Hall and Barry Eastman, who I met when I was about 22, 23. And I used to go and write songs at night, you know, in the studios and on the weekends and do demos. And, you know, we pitched songs to this one and that one and finally you know, the dots connected, um, you know, it was a long time, but when the dots connected, they connected, you know, right. and finally, it was while I was at Essence that, you know, that both Anita Baker's I Apologize and Brownstones ended up being, if you let me, on the radio in the same year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one was nominated for Grammy and the other song won, and that was while I was at Essence. That's amazing. And so I left at Essence at 1997 <laughs> when I left. Mm -hmm. You were hot. I mean, just hot. Your, your hands were just like fire. Okay, I mean, if all that happened around the same time, oh my God, was, I can't. I was busy. That's what I was. I yeah. was really very busy um, and very busy. I mean, and not always busy in a good way. I mean, I had a car accident and totaled the car, mm -hmm. um, falling asleep on the road. Um, I was busy because my job as entertainment editor was to go to parties and go to functions to network on behalf right. of the magazine mm -hmm. and right. help plan the first Essence Music Festival. So I was burning the candle on both ends. I mean, I'm lucky I'm alive to really to to really tell the real truth. Mm -hmm. I was so busy and burning the candles at both ends. I mean, I don't know. It's only God that drove me home sometimes because I know 
you know, I, I don't know how I am still alive because I used to fall asleep on the road all the time. So, you know, driving and I had and I actually totaled the car. So when I finally left Essence in, in 1997, it was fearful because I, you know, I, I didn't have a job. At that time, I started making money in music. I was actually making more music, more money from music at that time than I was Essence. But still, Essence was also like a family and a a, a place of, of of comfort and community and it was kind of like I was just kind of on my own, you know, mm -hmm. but I ended up signing a publishing deal with, with L.A. Reedy and, and, you know, I had a publishing deal with Prince, Prince's publishing company called Paisley, mm -hmm. Paisley Park. While I was at Essence, but shortly after leaving Essence, I bumped into L.A. Reedy and he ended up signing me to Hit Code Music Publishing. And I was the first writer he signed and he ended up sort of making a family of the other songwriters. So I started to spend a lot of time at Blanche. So, L.A. Reid sort of came into my life right at a really great time mm -hmm. to sort of build community in the Atlantic community with him and some of the other writers and producers there mm -hmm. shortly after Essence. And I started to take these courses at the Landmark Forum in 1997. Mm -hmm. I started participating a lot with that's a worldwide known transformational sort of university and um, that teaches courses all over the world. And that was edifying for me to sort of dive into and just, you know, it was a time of another transition and transformation. Yeah, right. And that allows me to transition into my next question, Gordon. Um, I apologize. The sultry, nubile, and emotive classic performed by the legendary Auntie Anita Baker uh, was released in 1994, but you didn't release your freshman solo album introducing Gordon Chambers until 2005. When did you have the epiphanic moment to switch gears and create a solo album? And did you battle with any self-resistance or uh, did you pursue your solo career with definitive assurance and confidence? Wait a minute, y'all are like really like the view, like y'all are rotating from <laughs> seamlessly from question to question, it's like- I wish I had some like, view money. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, whoever's watching this, okay? But it's, it's kind of like, okay, it's kind of like in the concert where like, the, you know, like what they pass the mic and everybody has a solo, everybody can sing. <laughs> Y'all are passing this mic seamlessly. I love it. Um, great Thank question. You. And I'm going to do backup for you later too, Gordon. Go ahead. Go ahead. Caught up. Anyway, so um, thank you for that question. I um, the solo artist journey that was a journey. Um, mm -hmm. While I was like really in the mix as a songwriter, I had a couple of record deal offers. One from Andre Harrell. Bless, rest in peace. Bless his soul. It's been about a year now. Yeah. Um, that was a hard day when we lost yeah. him in the pandemic. Yeah. That was a rough. Mm -hmm. I, everybody on the phone, just nobody, people were just in shock. You know, just we were all going down memory lane because he was such a good human being and such a great support to us all. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a record deal offer from from Motown and I had another offer from Universal. But the deals, the politics and the, the deals didn't work out. So I had kind of given up on my on my dream of being a singer as a, as a professional, you know, recording artist. Um, you know, and then I was doing well as a songwriter. And so I was like, you know, kind of like, well, maybe I'm really not meant to be a singer. Maybe I'm supposed to just be writing songs. But, you know, I was in the studio with Whitney, um, you know, producing a track for her. And I was trying to get her to sing this note higher and hold the notes. I had to sing it for her. And we were on a time crunch because the A&R person, Joey Arbridge, is like, if you don't get the song done, I'm not playing on the album. He was very, time was Ooh. clicking and, 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 and I had to get, I said, Whitney, we have to, I, I need you to bring me home. I, I hit this note and, and she got out of the booth and she walked over to me. She said, I think you want to do what I do. We're going to, that's what you need to do. That's what you need to do. She 
said just like that in one sentence. And she prophetically was speaking you know what? to. You know what? <laughs> because I just, I just, I just pictured that. Go ahead, Gordon. I'm sorry. So you know, Ooh. she said it like that in one run-on sentence. But it was very clear, a lot of eyes, you know, a lot of <laughs> kind of this. But she's prophetically spoke to my spirit, and in that moment, it was like, wow, I have waited all my life, especially being from Jersey, to work with the Queen of Pop, Soul, Gospel, everything, um, Whitney Houston. And she says, oh, somebody's asking. She said, what she said. <laughs> I was, she said, I think you want to do what I do, baby. If that's what you need to do, then that's what you need to do. That's exactly what she said. <laughs> and so. <laughs> When I got home, I did finish the record on time, and I turned it into the A&R person, Joey Reed, who was working for L.A. Reed. Um, Joey Arbergy, who was an A&R person for L.A. Reed, who was at that, that time had become president of Aristo, where Whitney was signed to at the time. So I did get my job done, and I turned in the record, and um, I went home, and I was like, wow, that was a word. Miss mm -hmm. Houston, Mother Houston has given me a word. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, you know, maybe this bug of singing has not left me. And if the greatest thing of the 20th century tells me that I can do it, then I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Come on. And right. that's when I talked to my songwriting friends, my partners, um, Troy Taylor, who I've mentioned in his interviews, especially was really the main producer who was most involved in my solo album, but Barry Eastman, um, um, Prince Charles Alexander. These are friends of mine that I used to make records with, and I'm like, I came to them with all my humility. The hardest mm -hmm. thing was to ask for the help. Right. You know, but I said, listen, guys, um, I think I want to make a solo record. I don't have a budget. I'm, you know, just going to do this on my own and release it independently and see what happens. Because at that time, the independent market thing was just starting to bubble up. Mm -hmm. you know? but I said, I'll give this a try. You know, I just had some spiritual upliftment and see how it. And everybody I asked to help me said yes. And then I released introducing and started to tour with it and do dates and um, and the rest, you know, it turned another chapter and the rest was history. And yes, tears from Epi. By the way, everyone tune in on Wednesday. Um, I've been I'm one of, I've been interviewed for a documentary that ABC News is, is doing. It's a new series called Superstar. Okay. So myself, I know I, in the trailer that's been, you know, heavily in rotation on ABC and commercials. I've in the trailer my, you see me. Brandy, B.B. Winans, Shaka Khan, and Brandy all give a reflection. But it's going to be a new documentary comes on next week. This coming Wednesday, August 11th, I think at 9 p.m. It's called Super Yeah, Dark. we'll get that information yeah. from you, Gordon. Yeah. We'll be happy to share with all yeah. of our viewers. Um, so, Gordon, what has been one of your most difficult challenges, and how did you persevere? Um, you know, in, in the business, not just in the business, in life, you know, you have to reinvent you have to sometimes keep proving your worth, if, or it feels that way, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, you're pigeonholed or you're known for one thing and you want to do other things and you have to make a way for yourself. Um, sometimes you have to humble, sometimes you, sometimes you have to ask for help. I think in the entertainment business, one of the hard things in the business is, um, is um, pretending to be happy all the time you know, that phone rings, oh, hi, you know, because it's like, right. how are you? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. It can be bubbly so, and likable. Um, yeah, yeah, like that can be a challenge because sometimes, you know, you're a human being being human. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And so sometimes there can be that, you know, sometimes it's really knowing who your real friends are, um, you know, jealousy, envy, quote unquote, um, all of it, you know, sometimes, sometimes even when, you know, you've achieved things and you have the toys of the accoutrement to whatever you want to call it, you know, not always feeling like you can really enjoy it. Right. Um, sometimes you feel like you, there might be people who are surrounding themselves with you just for that, just for access right. to that, as opposed to really caring about you and mm -hmm. constantly feeling sometimes on guard around mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's a lot, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. there are many, um, many layers and emotions around just living in general, but then sort of living in the- Gordon? Yes, sir. Did I make you feel at ease that one time, I think we were leaving your, your house and we got in the car and I played Millie Jackson and started singing for you. Did you feel at ease at that moment? I thought you were just an absolute fool. Oh, thank you. I'm, you know what? I was going to say, my eyes got wide because I said, him singing Millie Jackson? Okay, we Gordon, were, come on, tell you the know, truth. I was at a party when I met Christian and thought Christian was just fun and bubbly and young and just full of joy and um, met him through some other friends. And if, I don't know how Millie Jackson came on, but somehow I came on the radio or something. And the next thing I know, Christian starts singing lip-syncing or singing word for word Millie Jackson's all the way lever. I'm like this I was like I was impressed that he was like a, this young soul who would even know that song but he knew it live for life. I'm like this boy is a, is a young genius and a fool at the same time but full of joy and fun. I just thought it was funny and you know it's, it's so important to to have to laugh in life to have a good time to yeah. work hard and play yeah. hard you yeah. know and yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Lord, my last question for you, um, you've worked with some of our greatest treasurers, natural, national treasures, in my opinion, including some of the people that, you, you know, you've indicated tonight, Whitney Houston, Ania Baker, Aretha Franklin, Ledesi, Shaka Khan, Stephanie Mills, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, who are you most intimidated by in the studio? Who was the best Kiki and who delivered on their first take? Gladys uh -oh. delivered on that first take. I mean, I remember being in the studio. I can't even clap. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's a check. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you for that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when I, I remember being in the studio at 23, I think I was, and when we were recording vocals for Missing You, and um, we, you know, Tamia and Gladys recorded that day. Tamia recorded, you know, she was at the studio that day. And when I tell you that Mother Gladys came in, first of all, she knew all the words. She did not need a lyric. She just said, oh, I can't sing to no lyrics, she's baby. I got to know a song, <laughs> to, to deliver a song. She said, I have to know it. I got to feel it. I got to connect to it. And she was like, she said, we used to record albums in a day at Motown. She said, the whole album we would record in one day. Come on. And wow. she said, I don't sing to lyrics. She's, I've memorized the song. And when I tell you that she came in on that verse, oh, there were so many things. I nearly, I thought I was going to faint. I thought I was going to faint. And I had never heard my lyrics come back to me mm. with that much emotion, that much mm. power, mm -hmm. you know? And growing up as a child, my, my mother says as a child, like Gladys was my favorite, you know, like mm -hmm. even as a baby, I was trying to spin Gladys Knight records and breaking my father's needles. So 
the fact that I was, I was, I was overwhelmed, but she was, she knocked it out in one take. Right. Okay. Um, as you said, who was a Kiki Whitney was fun. <laughs> like to laugh and joke. And every time we went to the studio, she'd want to have a full two hour conversation. Two, I mean, two hours before, okay, what are we doing? You know, and she might sing a little bit that day and then, okay, I'm tired, y'all. Let's do it tomorrow. We were like, what are you tired for? You? <laughs> right. You haven't done anything. You just got here, right? <laughs> and we, you know, Listen, budget was not a thing. She was money was not a thing. She had an endless budget. And you know, she was just having she just enjoyed people. I mean, Whitney was a uh, a people person. She loved people and she really wanted to know who you are. She was like, mm -hmm. who are you? Talk yeah. to me. And and it was very much she didn't really talk about herself, you know. Okay. Um she but she liked to talk about music and talk about life and talk about family and just talk. I mean, so she was she was the key. She was hilarious and fun and just a, a friend, just really a friend. It was more like a friend to friend relationship. Um, mm -hmm. The most intimidating diva. Absolutely. Aretha Franklin. And I was at her house. You know, we recorded at her house. So, you know, she set up a recording studio at her house to do so damn happy. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm going to Aretha Franklin's house. Like, oh, my <laughs> that's God. crazy. And just, you know, and Aretha, I remember being intimidated by, first of all, Aretha had a, a presence. She had a persona about herself. There was a formidable carriage, mm -hmm. almost like going to the principal's office. That's what it felt like. Right. You know, like you're in the presence. There's really something regal around her. Um, but warm, really warm. Like she always insisted every, that you call her Aretha, you know? It used to be like Miss Frank. She, oh, you know, she would make you call her. No, she. I, I know somebody's going to ask it. I did have fantasies of coming to Aretha to record and like, oh, I'm going to sit there and get my greens and my. She did not cook for us that day, but she had amazing food there, and she like we recorded for three or four days, and each day she had a theme. So like one day it was like De Detroit greatest hit. So it's like Frank and beans and coleslaw and. Mm -hmm. Then another day was because Detroit has all this Greek food tradition. So another day was like tabbouleh and hummus and and I mean it was really good because she went to like the best restaurants in town. Of then course, the third yeah. day was like Cajun day. So it was like, you know, like like New Orleans like gumbo. Shrimp like boil. she had she had themes. <laughs> the real I mean? like the real food. <laughs> like yeah. it was and then and then you know I and then Aretha would invite me to her birthday party. I went to her birthday party, you know, many, many years. And at her birthday parties, also there was it was not get down greens. No, mm -mm. she had like fancy, you know, nice salads like with rock. rock that's there's a cheese that starts with R O C Q. That cheese, Roquefort, yeah, Roquefort. That cheese, and you know, um, she loved lamb chops. I mean, she had you know, she liked to fine dining. Fine dining. And I remember dining. going to. Yeah, she liked to dine. Yeah, you know, and, and she loved New York. So she loved to come to New York and go to Broadway. And, and I remember going to a, her house another day for going to her hotel for a meeting. She called me to meet with her and she was staying at the plaza. She's grand. And, um, you know, when I went in, then there was like a long um, seafood, you know, those seafood towers. With seafood the, tower, yeah. She had a seafood tower and then she had like crab cakes and, you know, and like, you know, and then she had that tower. And then she also had another tower of um, like, high tea sandwiches like the watercress sandwiches and 
great. I mean, like Aretha was really living kind of like a queen, and mm. she treated you like a king. Right. She mm. also she also treated you if if she respected your talent and she and she requested your talent, she treated you well. I re, yeah. you know, I remember going to concerts and she would you know get she said, and in the house tonight we have a songwriter who's working. You know, made me stand up in front you know with in front of 6,000 people at a sold out show at Radio City wow. and said my name and said, you know, and made the audience recognize me. And then the backstage mm -hmm. afterwards, she introduced her to my mother. She grabbed my mother's hand. She said, your son is really, really writing. I remember the way she said, <laughs> really, really, but warm. Like Aretha was like, there's something about the South, that Southern energy that's like very formal, you know, like those older dignity, like Mrs. Such and Such from church, you know, that's, you give them First high lady. honors, but also, mm -hmm. but, but also very warm at the same time. That was the mm -hmm. essence of her. So mm -hmm. I was very intimidated, but she really became a, 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 a friend, a, somebody wonderful, really warm, you know, I, and, and I mean, both of those ladies, Whitney and Aretha, I mean, I grew up idolizing them and, and who would have thought that they would have passed. And, um, right. and when they passed, I remember when those phone calls came in from their offices, you know, that you've been, you know, you're, you know, to, to, to be invited to the homegoings. And, mm -hmm. you know, I went and paid my, you know, homage. And I remember being at both homegoings and like, it was just one of those moments like, why am I here? You know, mm -hmm. just like thinking about growing up. Mm, mm, Humble. Mm. Thinking about growing up and dreaming, you know, about being in music and then finally getting to work with, you know, these ladies who crossed over. The highest me. level. Way before we thought they would, but then you know, being honored enough to be requested by their families right. to be there and mm -hmm. and and just like look at what God can do if you dream and you do the work. Look at what work. God can do. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> well, uh, Bobby Edwards has asked: Beyond your own gift, is there a current recording artist who moves you, either their voice or their writing? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who. I mean, I am really um a major jasmine sullivan fan i mean i remember doing shows with her when she was like 12 years old and that woman yeah. you know i mean she and she's like she's growing you know she can sing about the hotels and tell you all about the you know <laughs> the, the girls right. next door and really tell you their life story in a, and yes. put it into a beautiful song uh, you know almost like if you listen to that album it's almost like entasaki shange's you know, choreo poem it's like she's, she's telling the story of these women who the world would look down on, but she's like, right. everyone is a human being. And she's telling there's it's 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 artist, it's art, you know? And then I'm, to I'm see right. her and to see her get on the um national anthem and then sing yeah. that national blow anthem it. and with a country and western singer. Yeah, and, and blow it away. And, <laughs> and, and then, but then also blew it away, but in a way like knowing how to do be herself, but then sing with him at the same time. I was like, wow, you know, yeah. I'm I'm impressed with her. I mean, her is is growing in her craft. You know, I, I've seen her live perform live, and you know, just get on from one instrument to the next instrument, and just classy, talented. Mm -hmm. You know, growing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jennifer Hudson continues to just be Love ready her. for whatever. Mm -hmm. She's always ready. You know, mm -hmm. when the world 
says, okay, Jennifer, we need you to do it. We need you to sing for Whitney, you know, two days after she passed. Um, she was ready, you know, when mm -hmm. she's, when Aretha says, I want you to play, play me, whatever the, is, whatever they put in her, she's ready and she always makes us proud. Always ready. Fantasia, yes. I love, sings for Fantasia. Oh. Fantasia to me is, is, is like our Aretha, you know, just always mm -hmm. in the, I love Cynthia Ariva. I love her. I've seen her, never seen her in concert, but I've seen her on stage and has given me chills, the precision and the, the timbre of her voice. But, you know, I saw Lisa Fisher in concert last week. Who's yeah. I my saw favorite. that on your oh my Instagram. God. <laughs> my, 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 I, I love Lisa Fisher <clears throat> and I had to give up tickets right before COVID and I yeah. see that she's now you know, in concert again. Yeah. So I, I cannot wait. She is, Lisa Fisher is of my top Four yeah. female singers. Yeah. She's like, I, yeah, yeah. She's like singer, singer's favorite yeah. singer. Yes, like it's like water. It's like a masterclass, and it's like she's like a genie. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like magic. It's like black magic. I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's it's otherworldly. So it's, there's there's, well, so there's tons of talent out there that I love supporting. We'll talk to Lisa Fisher about us because I'd love to have her on the show. I just love, <laughs> really, truly, she, I'm, I'm with you. I okay. mean, between Lisa Fisher and Tuck and Patty, we got some good music vibes oh, going on. Okay. You know that. So, Gordon, I have a question for you. Like, of your songs that you've written, which one do you find yourself singing the most? To mm. yourself or? Um, I sing, I mean, when I go to open mics, I generally sing If You Love Me. You know, it's, a, it's always a crowd pleaser. Yes. At um at when I you know if I pop into an open mic I'll sing it like I popped into Nick and Bell's um Sugar Bar last night I say that one tends to be the one that I sing the most because it's a it's an immediate crowd pleaser at an right. open mic so I would probably say that one um but you know I have songs on my solo albums that are more personal to me that are more my own storyline I guess more my own narrative mm -hmm. so I probably would sing those to myself, so to speak, but probably publicly it would be probably If You Love Me. Especially after Tory Lanez um, did it and sampled it as uh, did the hip hop version say it, it became even more of a crowd pleaser. Crowd pleaser. Sort of came back, yeah. Why not? But I always enjoy, I love to sing If You Love Me because it's, um, it's you know, it's the first song I ever heard that I, on the radio, so, you know. I, I love it. Where were I you when it. you heard it? In the car. Actually, I wrote nice. it in the car and I was in the car when I heard it, actually. Oh. <laughs> Yes. Very sweet. So <clears throat> you got a lot of guidance and support as a child from Dick Griffin, from Rufus Reed and from Lenny White. When you're not performing, how do you spread your love and talents in music? Very much doing exactly what Lenny and, and Dick Griffin and Rufus Reed did for me. I mean, I mentor a lot of people. I do a lot of vocal coaching. Um, for all ages and all skill levels. I have people who sing just as a hobby to express themselves and professional recording artists, as well as children, you know, all ages. So I, 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 I love to guide and mentor and, and, and coach and teach. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, that same energy that, you know, all that confidence and self-esteem that, that I that got built up in me as a youth, I give it back to the community mm -hmm. in, that, in that through that service. Yeah. Right on. Now, you even wrote a song entitled Slow Motion for uh, Karina Passion. Yes. Back in 2008. Yeah. Which I took a listen to. That's really a beautiful song. You're such a beautiful songwriter. Thank uh, you. You touch our souls when you write a song. It's just really amazing. Thank you. Thank what you advice so. would you give to young aspiring song and 
songwriters and singers? You know, to talk about Karina, I mean, Karina um, was a project. Um, there's an AR person who worked for LA Reed who was what one time worked for Hickle when I was signed there as a songwriter, and, and Shakir Stewart, who um, passed away in, in, I don't know if it was 2008 or 2009. He, he took his own life, actually. Um, he signed Karina and asked me to work on that project. And and the, she was nominated for a Grammy. And the album didn't sell as much as we hoped that it would. But Slow Motion, which was not even the single on the album, has become this runaway song, singer, singer, song. I mean, it has been covered on YouTube thousands of times. Wow. It's been sang on American Idol contestant shows mm -hmm. like all around the world. It's been, you know, we just got a request that somebody wanted to put it in a play. It's just become this song that seems to be like a song that represents young, innocent love. Mm -hmm. um, I would say to, so thank you for mentioning her. I was very proud of being a mentor to her, especially at that young age. Um, mm -hmm. And just sort of pouring all that I knew into her and as a way to honor Shakir who's passed on, obviously. Um, so I would say to the young artists um, to be themselves, to trust the, trust themselves to be themselves. Um, you know, authenticity <laughs> is, the, is the most powerful part of anybody's artistry, you know. Um, you know, and we, I loved the singers, you know, that in the, when I was growing up, like when my parents would pay records, you know, they could put on Dion and Dion sounded nothing like Marilyn McCool, who sounded nothing like Diana Ross, who sounded right. nothing like Thelma right. Houston, who sounded nothing like Sissy Houston. Right. Or if it was reggae, then Toots and the Maytals sounded nothing like Bob Marley, who sounded nothing like Peter Tosh. The, the voices were so unique. Um, these days you turn on the radio and, you know, you, know you can't quite to. say <laughs> that can't. the singers sound no. so distinct from each other. So yeah, yeah. I try to encourage artists and not just sing, not just music, but all artistry to artists to trust themselves to be themselves. Yeah. Let us hear who you are and trust it. Nice. Yeah. I love that. <clears throat> What's next for you? I, I wonder... I have, you know, that's, I'm trying to figure that out. You know, the <laughs> pandemic was a, a a time of a slowdown of reflection and, um, and I'm, 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 I'm open. I, I, I'm going to write a book. I know that I need to do that. Um, I'm going to work on another recording, my fifth solo album. I know those projects are coming down the pike, but I'm also open. You know, I, I would love to probably be a professor somewhere. Um, that would be a great use of my skills and my interests at this, you know, time. And I'm, when that, when the right fit and the right opportunity comes along, I'm open. I just stay open. But you know, really, it's 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 however I can be of service, you know, and, and inspire. I'm open to. Well, thank you so much for being here. I know Alvin and Saladin have been so wanting to have you on the show. <laughs> they are containing it so well, but it's just such a joy to have you here. Thank you for having me. You guys have been fun. Well, thank you. Well, um, ladies and gentlemen, we're not going anywhere just yet. Gordon is going to get ready. He's going to sing a, a song for us. Or, but before we do that, a lot of you have been following us and have been wondering, 
where has our black uh, excellence feature uh, been? So while Gordon goes, you know, goes away for a minute to get himself ready for his performance, uh, we're going to have another segment of Black Excellence. And our co-host, Saladin, he's about to put it down for you guys. So Saladin, take it away. Sure. Thanks, Alvin. Um, on the evening of December 24th, 1989, NBC presented this Bill Cosby Salute Salvin Ailey. Mr. Ailey died on December 1st, 1989, but this particular production was not made as a posthumous tribute. It was actually taped more than a year before it premiered to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Year. December 24th, 1989 was a fateful day for me as it was the first time I had ever seen or heard about the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. I was desperately captivated by the intrepid athleticism, beauty, and glamour of the dancers. I had never witnessed such, such a magical thing in my life. For tonight's Black Excellence, we pay tribute to one of the women who graced the stage on that fateful night, and who years later will have a palpable impact on my growth as a dancer and an artist. Tonight, we celebrate Deborah Chase Hicks, former star of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. As Teresa Ruth Howard wrote in a recent Dance Magazine article, Chase Hicks was a game changer, an inspiration, an example for generations of dancers. Her sweet blend of technical prowess, artistry, integrity, grace, and humility in classic roles in Tally Beatty's The Stack Up, Ulysses Dove's Episodes, George Faison's Sweet Otis, and Alvin Ailey's For Bird With Love, as well as the iconic solo cry, garnered her the respect of her peers. Deborah Chase Hicks, or as I lovingly called her, Debbie Chase, was born on December 23rd, 1957, in Aschaffenburg, Germany. Her love for dance as a young child, her love for dance began as a young child while living in Denver, Colorado. Her family would eventually settle in Philadelphia in the 1960s. At age 10, she began attending the Philadelphia School of Dance Arts the parent school of Philodenko. Debbie Chase was invited to join Philodenko in 1974. She performed as a soloist with Philodenko until 1981. In 1981, Mr. Ailey invited Debbie Chase to join the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. Mr. Ailey once said, Philodenko, that young and dynamic company which has made such an explosive impact on the entire dance scene. Former Philodenko members enrich our repertoire with their versatility, technical fire, and unparalleled commitment to the art of dance, end quote. In fact, Debbie Chase was one of the final dancers handpicked by Mr. Ailey himself. Debbie Chase remained at Ailey for 11 years, where she and a cohort of awe-inspiring dancers elevated the standard of American modern dance. As Howard also noted, it was this generation that set the model that has become the brand of excellence associated with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. She was also the recipient of many awards, the International Congress of Black Women Award, the Outstanding Young Americans Award, and Dance Magazine's Dancers to Watch. After retiring from Ailey, she returned to where it all began, Philodenko, where she served as rehearsal director until her recent passing on May 6, 2021, excuse me. I was invited to join Philodenko in August of 2000. Debbie Chase was the most nurturing and supportive rehearsal director I've ever worked with. She was also an adroit coach who provided feedback in a safe space designed to elevate and enhance. She was completely vested in our success and growth as young artists. I didn't think I would ever be, I don't think I would have ever been invited to join the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater 
if it were not for my time at Philodenka with Debbie Chase and John Myers Brown. Working with Debbie Chase was a great honor and a privilege. She was also a highly sought after master teacher. She was on the staff of New Freedom Theater and the Philadelphia School of Dance Arts. She was also instrumental in resetting Mr. Ailey's witness for the Royal Danish Ballet and the reconstruction of Ulysses Dove's Bad Blood on Philodenko. Debbie Chase had a few mantras, which I continue to live by. And in closing, I'd like to share with you. She'd say, change your costume, change your head. She'd also say, you have nothing to prove and everything to share. That's Deborah Chase Hicks, Black Excellence. Thank you, Saladin. I, I wanna I wanna run to New York and bring you a tissue. I I really do Sorry. because I know I know <clears throat> viewers, he mentioned he he Saladin is a dancer also. Former dancer. For, former dancer. <laughs> former dancer. He can still cut a step, but um he is a former <clears throat> dancer. Um that was that was beautiful, a beautiful tribute. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Gorgeous. And wow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, we have He's here and he's here on, he said, he said, he said, and he is going to perform for us tonight. And I don't even know what he's performing, ladies and gentlemen. So it is, it is a mystery to me and a gift to me tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the, he said, he said stage, Mr. Gordon Chambers. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Anyway, so I'm at my piano, which you guys can't see, but. Um, the song that's on my heart right now um, is a song about perseverance, um, something we talked about in the interview. Um, it's also the song on my newest CD, um, Surrender, my most latest album, solo album. Please get all my albums, by the way. Um, <laughs> yes. Get them. Good music for adults, grown folks, seasoned people. Yes, um, yes. But this is a song called My Way, and this song was on the, on the CD, was dedicated to Whitney. And I'm just going to sing this right now, since we did talk about her tonight, and since I'm going to be on the documentary next week. So this song came to my mind, and it's a song about, well, you'll see what it's about. I think if you're grown and you're seasoned, you've been through this and you can relate. Sometimes 
tonight about perseverance and I know when I saw you doing what I do in 2005 I said one day I'm going to work with him one day I'm going to talk with him one day I'm going to have him on a show and the only other person that I've that spoke to my existence was Lettucey and I did mm. that in 2000 and brought her to DC so I am just going to say I am so honored tonight to have you on he said he said he said Thank you for blessing our show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you saw it right here tonight on He Said, He Said, He Said. Mr. Gordon Chambers came here and did his thing. And Saladin, Vosh, and I, I'm, I'm speaking for them, we are so happy that you are here. So before we go, I'm gonna give you all our words of the week. Music expresses that of which cannot be said on which it is impossible to be silent. And that is an unknown. We will post that with a thank you to all of you for watching tonight. And again, for blessing us uh, with another great show. We couldn't have done it with all of you, without all of you. And so I'm gonna end tonight by saying, everyone have a great weekend. And thank you for joining us again on He Said. He Said. He Said. And we'll see you guys very soon. Take care, have a great weekend, be safe.